You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's December 18th. The holiday season is officially here. And despite some recent increases in employment and spending, many U.S. households continue to struggle financially during the pandemic. New RAND survey results highlight the challenges facing millions of Americans. Here are four of our findings. First, not all groups are facing the same financial challenges. Lower-income workers and Black and Hispanic households have been hit particularly hard over the last several months. Second, more and more Americans are reporting difficulty paying their bills. This could be because people have already exhausted their savings, or because additional unemployment insurance benefits expired earlier this year. Third, the strategies that people are using to make ends meet have shifted. For example, Americans who are struggling have become even more likely to turn to formal credit, such as credit cards and payday loans, to cover their bills. This suggests that, for many households, the situation is becoming more dire. Fourth, Many people plan to spend less than usual on holiday gifts this year. This could be another sign of continuing hardship. As we record here on Friday morning, Congress appears to be nearing a deal on a new stimulus package. There are still many details to be worked out, however, and it remains to be seen just what it will take and how long it might take to help Americans return to steady financial ground. This week, states and localities began rolling out their plans to distribute the first wave of COVID-19 vaccines. But no amount of planning can anticipate all of the challenges that lie ahead. That's why learning from this initial phase will be crucial, say RAND researchers. Approaches from the world of business management may be particularly useful right now. Here are three lessons about how organizations learn and adapt that could apply to today's vaccination effort. Number one, learn from early adopters. The experiences from this initial wave of vaccinations could be analyzed and used to refine state and local plans going forward. Number two, use simulations and prototyping to learn lessons quickly and safely. Officials could prototype logistics systems in different regions if the best design is not clear. For example, they could compare systems that use many small warehouses with systems that use fewer, larger sites. And number three, produce results and know-how in parallel. Managers of the vaccination effort will have their hands full solving problems in real time. That's why a separate, dedicated group of experts could work simultaneously on analyzing the results and finding opportunities for improvement. So, who will coordinate all of the essential learning that needs to happen during the vaccination campaign? With the U.S. public health system so fragmented across state and local governments, plus the private sector, the federal government could play a key role here. For example, it could act as a clearinghouse for what's working and what isn't. This could help states and localities expect the unexpected and adapt accordingly. Will remote learning be offered even after COVID-19 has passed? For much of the U.S., the answer appears to be yes. About 20% of the nation's school districts have already adopted, plan to adopt, or are considering adopting virtual schools after the pandemic. 
That's according to a new RAND survey of school district leaders. The group we surveyed is part of a first-of-its-kind, nationally representative, longitudinal panel of school districts across the U.S. RAND researchers will be fielding surveys with these leaders to learn about what's happening on the ground in America's school districts. So, why is it that so many district leaders may end up sticking with remote learning? In their survey responses, they cited both student and parent demand for online instruction as key considerations. But inequities are still a major concern. In districts that serve more students of color or more low-income students, access to devices and the Internet continues to be a significant problem. There are more than 2.3 million home care workers in the U.S. They help millions of people who need extra support to remain in their homes. Home care workers help their clients bathe and get dressed, prepare meals for them, and clean their homes. It's important work, especially right now. According to RAND experts, more could be done to support the well-being of home care workers during the pandemic. Here are three options that policymakers could consider. First, ensure that home care workers have personal protective equipment, or PPE. Not all home care workers are provided with PPE, and shortages and inadequacies left some home care workers needing to find their own PPE, or work without it. This is troubling, as home care workers are on the front line of an overwhelmed health care delivery system that could become even more overextended if workers, and by association their clients, are not properly protected. Second, increase their compensation during COVID-19. Home care workers are the lowest paid direct care workers, earning a median income ranging from roughly $13,000 to $17,000 a year. Policymakers could consider taking steps to ensure that all home care workers receive hazard or bonus pay premiums throughout the pandemic to compensate them for the additional risk they're taking on. Third, and finally, give home care workers essential worker status. The essential classification might improve the likelihood that the first two policy options, ensuring access to PPE and increasing compensation, are implemented. It could also have implications for vaccine distribution, potentially helping ensure that home care workers are vaccinated quickly, which would provide them with additional protection from acquiring and transmitting COVID-19. Compared with men, women are still paid less and promoted less often. According to RAND experts, these disparities remain largely because of complex factors in corporate culture. For example, an employee who can't work late or on the weekends may unfairly be deemed unproductive. And if it's customary at a firm for career-oriented women to take less leave than they're eligible for, then women who take the full amount are negatively stereotyped. These problems were hard enough to remedy when the economy was booming, but the pandemic could make them worse. Consider how these disrupted months could reinforce employers' beliefs that their female employees take on a greater burden of child care or elder care than their male employees. This could have a negative effect on women's pay and career trajectories for years to come. But there may also be an opportunity. Now that the pandemic has given employers more insights into the struggles of working women, they could choose to change and remake corporate culture so that women are no longer the exception to their established norms. 
President-elect Joe Biden has an opportunity to reset the U.S. relationship with sub-Saharan Africa, says Rand's Michael Shurkin. An important first step. Quote, See Africans as Africans, and not pawns in some great game. This shift could actually go a long way towards strengthening America's position in competition with other powers. According to Shurkin, ongoing U.S.-backed counterterrorism efforts in the region will likely need to continue. In fact, they may even need to grow. But now could also be an ideal time to review two decades of experience to refine those counterterrorism efforts. But it's important to remember that security-related efforts can, at best, create the space and time for partner governments and allies to address the local problems that fuel insurgencies and terrorism in the first place. Biden could shift the U.S. focus to help with this process. What will be the overall benefit of more U.S. engagement in sub-Saharan Africa? Shurkin concludes that it will help ensure that the U.S. is positioned to take full advantage of whatever opportunities arise there and, when necessary, do whatever might be possible to avert unfavorable outcomes, neither of which is possible if America remains aloof, he says. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll be back next week with our last episode of 2020, where we'll highlight the most popular RAND research of the year. We'll see you then.